back to the pretty serious bike racing podcast. I'm Dane Cash. I'm very excited to say welcome back. That means that means we're still here. We're still doing this. They're still letting us podcast for for whatever reason. Uh, we got lots to talk about this week, this Monday. You're, we're recording this on a Sunday, but it's going to go out on a Monday because we're coming out of multiple World Tour races running at the same time. I feel like Cosmo is going to have some thoughts on that. So first, <laughs> let's introduce everybody. I just mentioned you, but, you know, Cosmo Catalano, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm Cosmo Catalano. I am the least professional person here, and I feel like I might talk Oh, I don't know. Much. I feel like we're both really in the running for that. I, uh, yeah, I mean, you at least nominally had a job doing this. I just Oh, I thought you meant professional YouTube. bike racers, because we, oh, we have two people yes. on this, well, yeah, on this yes. program who are significantly more professional. At any level, so as, as a reporter. Yeah. Well, you have won a King of the Mountains title at the Green Mountain Stage Race in 2005. <laughs> That's correct. So, well, Cat 4. Cat 4, Cat 4 a or a. B. I forget which one it was. But All right, so we do have two other people on the show who have some bike racing experience. Uh, Rona McLaughlin, welcome to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm going to have to keep reminding myself that it is a pretty serious bike racing podcast. <laughs> yeah, because, if, it's, if um, you're not serious, we're just going to kick you out. Uh, I'm not great at being serious, so just, just interrupt if I, if I lose my way. Well, that's a, you know, that's a good segue, because you know who's really good at pe- keeping people on topic, on podcasts? Abby Mickey, welcome to the Pretty Serious I do make a habit of trying to keep people on on topic, but I feel like I won't need to for this one. I feel like in the past when we have podcasted together, it has been, you have been the one required to do that, particularly when there have been other people going off on tangents. Anyway, welcome to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast, everybody. Uh, we're very excited to be back. Uh, I know we're very excited to talk about all the bike racing that's going on, or that's been going on over the past few days. There has been a lot of it. Uh, we're going to talk about Perry Nice. We're going to talk about Torino Adriatico. We're going to talk about the Ronda Vondrenta. There's some news happening in the bike world, as always. Some some interesting topics to talk about there, uh, and of course, bike racing coming up that we're going to do a little bit of talking about. We'll, we'll let the we'll let the other podcast, the placeholders. Uh, maybe do a bit more of the preview because it's gonna be a little closer. It'll be a little closer when it gets published to the racing. Uh, but Milan San Remo is a pretty big race. The Trofeo Alfredo Binda is a pretty big race. Lots to talk about there. So let's talk about what's been happening over the past few days. We'll do a little Monday morning DSing. Let's let's Monday morning DS. I don't know. Let's do let's do Paris first. It did start first. Uh, it's it's one of the two big World Tour races that happened this past week on the men's side and uh they ran relatively concurrently people have feelings about that uh <laughs> Paranese was an interesting one uh in that we got to see Tadej Pogacar go up against Jonas Vingago uh Cosmo 30 seconds or less what happened how did that yeah. uh, how did that play I'm out time it wait okay great yeah, it's right I don't want to leave the start house early here uh, okay three are... two one go yeah, there were some sprints. They were kind of interesting. There was a really weird time trial format. I shouldn't say really weird, but different, where the top rider, uh, rider or riders, got a separate time from the team, which was awarded the time of the fourth finisher, I think, as normal. Um, not huge gaps. Then there were some mountains, and there were huge gaps. Uh, this Pogacar, uh, Vingigo duel really didn't materialize. Vingigo kind of didn't look very good. Pogacar looked real good, uh, took some bonus seconds, and won the overall. Hey, nice Whoa. job. Really good. Really good. <laughs> I really didn't think you were going to make it. That was impressive. I was like, he's cutting it real close. Well, I, well, I had to talk to about timer. that time trial. I, 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 like that. I like that they were willing to shake it up. I think it was very confusing. to try. I tried to explain it to Amy, and she was just like, what? what? <laughs> she kind of gets the team time trial idea, but like, doing the accounting math there just had no appeal. So, Any, Anything to shake up that horrible discipline. We all know how I feel oof, about that. Uh oof. I'm very impressed, though, that you managed to do your own little, you know, 30-second time trial. The listeners, they were not able to see that the timer. He was, like, literally exactly 30 seconds. So, nice job, Cosmo. Thank you. Uh, you still got it. Uh, David Gaudu finished second. And, yeah, oh, yes. Jonas Vingago, a lot of a lot of hype for him. I mean, for obvious reason, he won that, that Tour de France thing. Uh, yeah, just didn't really live up to the challenge of facing Tate Pogacar in this race, who really just dominated. Uh, Vingago finished third, so I guess, you know, no... No slouch. But yeah, I, I think it was a good example of Tadej Pogacar just doing this sort of early season. The guy loves bike racing. He's going to win 
all the time, all year, doesn't really seem to do the old-fashioned, I'm only going to care about June and July sort of thing. And I think cycling really benefits from that. Uh, the other thing I think that a lot of people were talking about after this race, and we could talk about it too, how much of an impact do you think this has on the psyche of Jonas Vingigo? The fact that Tadej Pogacar is so strong right now, and the fact that Pogacar, to me, I mean, I think to everybody, looked miles ahead of Jonas Vingigo, at least as of March. I think uh, I, I never really bought into this whole Pogacar versus Vingigo battle this week. Um, I know, you know, Pogacar's had this season in flying form, and Vingigo then sort of answered back with a dominant display in Gran Camino, but I, I just, I, I, there's such different riders, you know, Pogaccio will race every single race like it is the Queen Stage of the Tour de France, whereas Vinigo just doesn't really seem to be that way, and yes, I know he won so much in Gran Camino, but it was different where he like seemed to be able to force a gap in Gran Camino, and then genuinely looked like he was suffering at times, whereas Pogaccio, when he dominates races, looks like he's on a training spin whereas everybody else is suffering so I am not surprised to see that we didn't really get the grand battle this week that maybe we anticipated and I I don't think it either indicates anything for the tour and I don't think Vinico will look too much into it either um, they, just to avoid all this they may well Vinico may well avoid Pogaccia from now on um, but I, I, I don't think it'll be working on his mind too much but that, that's just my own guess I got nothing really to base that on yeah that's what I was gonna say I was gonna say um I'm sure that this is this might be the last time we see the two of them racing together before the tour because you know we know like after the tour last year Vinigo had kind of a he he took a took a step back from from the limelight, he really wasn't super keen on the attention. And I think like for him flying under the radar is what he does best. So I don't, I feel like he's still going to be competitive against Pogacar when it comes to the tour, if he is the GC rider, which I guess we'll get into when we talk about Torino. But I I think, I don't know. I, I feel like even though Pogacar is really exciting to watch, I still think that he it might be to his detriment. Like he got lucky that he was so aggressive and it worked out, but there's, there's always a time when you're that aggressive and you burn too many matches and you blow up. And I think that that's something that, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious how his form right now is going to impact the, the tour. Cause it's really far away and he's on flying form right now. I, I really like that it, I think on the one hand, maybe it is Pogacar wanting to make that statement. On the other hand, I think he just loves winning even a, a Paris or even a, a smaller race. And and that to him, so often when, when and we're doing it right now, we talk about, you know, how every race that leads up to the Tour de France, you know, how does that, what's the narrative going into the Tour de France? But the Paris is a big race. It's, it's, a, it's a big thing to win. Most people go through their whole lives without running a race as big as Paris uh, and Pogacar likes winning races, and, and so he's going to go do that. And, and maybe it matters to him that he's making this statement, and maybe not. Well, we may never know. Uh, but I think that's really great for the sport, the fact that he takes these races so seriously. Uh, but I, I think you're you're right that, uh, Ronan, maybe maybe uh, Vingago might want to avoid facing him, just to avoid the questions. I mean, it's probably annoying hearing hearing the questions about, about the form differential. And the team boss over at Yumbo, former journalist, the, you know, the guy knows a little bit about media and how all that works, so maybe they will do that. Maybe they'll uh, try to avoid this, this, uh, these conversations like we're having right, right now on this <laughs> podcast. Maybe they'll try to keep Vinga go out of those by just, oh yeah, Pogacar's going to that race. Uh, hey, Jonas, maybe go to a different race. I'm kind of looking at it maybe the other way. Uh, I seem to recall, and I may be misremembering, during the aughts, there was a few Dauphines uh, where certain GC riders did not perform conspicuously did not perform well. And as the tour came around, it really seemed like maybe they hadn't gone as hard as they could go, or maybe tried to put off a false sense of, uh, of vulnerability. And yeah, it's only March, but you know, we, we saw that while Vinigo is clearly the stronger of the two at last year's tour in the high, high mountains, I think it took a lot of strategery for him to really get around on Pogacar, kind of use that, use that uh, aggressiveness against him. And 
I'm wondering if this might be similar kind of mind games on the part of, of Yumbo Visma trying to make Pogacar think and feel still invincible even after that, you know, got used against him on stage 12 of last year's tour. I actually, interesting point that, but I actually hadn't hadn't thought about that. But what I had thought about Yumbo this week was actually they kind of heaped a, a heck of a lot of pressure on Vinico. And, you know, okay, for the first somewhat finish, perhaps they thought that Vinico could have rode away with, with the stage one there and, and taken the overall. But it was clear after that first somewhat finish that Pogaccia had the beating of him and even Godot also had the beating of him. But then yesterday's stage, they sort of, which is stage seven, if I've got my numbers right, the Yumbo again did a lot of the work. Tobias Foss did a huge ride. I think he was, uh, the commentators awarded him man of the match competition for 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 yesterday's stage to set up Vinigo for a very similar scenario where Pogaccia and Godo were capable of riding away from him. Okay, it was much closer yesterday, but I don't know, it just feel like it... it, it First of all, you know why? Why do anything? Why not just try to heap more pressure on UAE? Why not try to make the the race uh, a bit a bit uh, a bit crazier, if anything, to try and land, a, or to try to take away from Pogacha's strength, just add a bit of chaos into the mix, and hopefully that can shake things up. But they seem to instead just put pressure on Vinigo. Was was my take from yesterday's stage, which ultimately didn't help him any either. I think uh, to Yumbo's credit, we should mention, I mean, I think the big thing coming out of this race is obviously Pogacar three stages in the overall win, but Yumbo did uh, do a fine job in the, in the Triple T. They also won a sprint stage with Olaf Koy, who had yet to take that big win, although he'd been kind of bubbling right under the surface. And the 21-year-old uh, Olaf Koy, by the way. So I think uh, Yumbo probably in many other ways, happy to come away from this race with some with some success. And, and uh, obviously they had some other successes this week. We'll get to that in a second. I, I mentioned Pogaccio won three stages. Yumbo took two. Uh, Mass Pedersen won the other one that was uh, the, the sprint stage. Uh, we, we should mention there was a, a canceled stage in there as well, by the way. Some some serious weather basically all across Europe because it affected both Perinice and Torino Adriatico. It affected Aranda von Drenta even. It was a very busy very busy week for weather cancellations and shortenings across the cycling scene. And Paranese actually just canceled a whole stage. The uh, The sixth stage was canceled due to wind. And so we don't, we'll never know who is going to win that stage. Uh, but yeah, Merlier, Pedersen, and Olaf Koy, all, all of them had really nice weeks in the sprint department. Uh, let's talk about David Godou a little bit because mm. he had a really impressive uh, week of climbing. And... Kaylee, Kaylee uh, texted Cosmo and, he, and me a minute ago about this tweet that Pro Cycling Stats had put out uh, before the final stage, showing that without bonus seconds, David Godou was actually uh, ahead of Pogacar. Of course, that changed Troll on the bait. final stage. Troll bait. Uh, but uh, yeah, so first of all, we, we can get to that in a second. First of all, Godou, heck of a race, really nice uh, performance across the board, a consistent performance, one that that's something that has sort of, I think, plagued a number of uh, French hopefuls through the past few years is that consistency question. And okay, he didn't win. He didn't beat Tadej Pogacar, but he had a heck of a race and finished second. And I'm kind of trying to figure out at this point, what, what is David Godou's ceiling? Is he going to be this one-week guy who does fine grand tours, or is he a legitimate potential contender to join that conversation? I think he's a legitimate contender. I mean, if you look at kind of how much he's developed in the last couple of years like he won the tour de l'avenir in 2016 and then after that joined fdj and he's progressively been getting better and better ever since then if you look at his results in the tour de france specifically because we just always talk about it um and you just the your question is he one a one week racer or can he do more i think he can do more because if you look at like how he's grown as a rider his first tour de france 35th or 34th, nothing to write home about, really. But then after that, he just gets better and better. He was 13th overall in 2019. He was 11th overall in 2021, and then fourth overall in 2022. So he's just, every single year, he's he's made a jump up. And I think he's on a French team. He's got the backing of a French team. Like If he's going to go for a race like that, then they're going to give him everything that they possibly can for him to succeed. I have a really wonderful mental image in my mind now of 
David Godu finishing that first Tour de France, and he's about to write a letter to his parents talking about how great it is. But then he realizes there's nothing to write home about. And he trashes the letter and just moves on with his life. So thanks for that, Abby. Uh, and he's wearing his like signature big, big yes, like black glasses. square he's a glasses. He's looking fellow. Which those I glasses, love. like so, I seriously love yeah. this kid. Yeah. His, those he's, glasses are amazing. He's been wearing them since 2016. Like all of his photos are in those those square glasses, and he's just. There was one year he went for for a blue frame just like to mix it up a bit but he returned to his signature black glasses as a fellow corrective lens wearer i'm a, I'm a big fan of, of that uh yeah and i i kind of have to go uh, in the opposite direction I what do you have against people have... with glasses ronan <laughs> nothing against nothing against the glasses i have something against someone who won't wear gloves and then gives himself a disadvantage by trying to dry his hands you know yeah. seconds before yeah. the sprint kicks off uh, you know that uh, I'm not saying he would have won the stage, but it certainly made things a lot more difficult for him, and he ended up not winning the stage. But my point was going to be, I I just don't see how he can progress much further than what you know. He he may well end up on the podium of the tour or whatever, but I I don't see him becoming a a, a bigger champion. Uh, I I just I struggle to see how he's going to convert the second places. He's had like second places in well in Paris Nice now. He's had. Uh, second place on stages in other races, the, the Criterium de Dauphiné, Romandy, Algarve, Tour de Luxembourg. And I just don't see where he gets that that last little... He's going to need a really mountainous terrain to win any race. And he, as good as he was this week, when the other best climbers in the world are on top form so far, we have not seen him been able to beat them. Mm. And if it's something like this week, he also can't beat the likes of Pogaccia, and I see him, like, I hope I'm wrong, but I unfortunately see him getting stuck in this sort of scenario where second and third, he, he, you know, is, is kind of as good as he can get. And he gets a heck of a lot of second and thirds in big races, but I can't see him making a step much beyond where he's at right now. Yeah, as far as the, you know, needing a mountainous terrain, I think that's a good point. And it's not even necessarily because he is, as you just said, he's not necessarily just this, you know, top climber in the world type. It's more that he's not not the best at time trials, whereas uh, Pogacar and Vingago and Roglic and so many other of the top contenders are. Just to add to my comment there, that the, the, most of the time I've seen his name come up, he seems to have been happy to ride for second or third. And that's going on, you know, he's a six-year pro now. It's very difficult to change that mindset. Uh, and even, even yesterday, he was happy to pull on the front with Pogacar and go, uh, Vingago in the wheel where, at least in my opinion anyway, the best thing he could have done there was just sit up. The other two were not prepared to ride. Pogaccia didn't have to ride. He was in yellow. And let the chasers come back. And again, add in that bit of chaos, and gives him an opportunity to you know, force a gap where maybe Pogaccia gets blocked in or something different happens. But when you've got Pogaccia in your wheel, you're not really attacking too far up the road. And you know, that, that just rubbed me up the wrong way yesterday also. <laughs> Look, if you're going to if you want to believe that there is a chance that a Frenchman can win the Tour de France at some point in our lifetimes, <laughs> then you need to have hope that David 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 Gaudu, I can't speak, is going to figure out how to win a race, a big race, because I think at this point like Pino are we like we got to stop. We got to move our hopes away from him and and towards a younger, maybe potentially more promising, and he'll find a way. Grubama FDG did uh, take time out of Pogacar on the the, t- uh, the, the team time trial. Um, one of the things I thought was when, when, uh, when PCS tweeted that tweet, I was like, you know, they're like, oh, look, without bonus seconds, uh, you know, Gaudu would be winning. And it's like all of those seconds came in the time trial, um, the team time trial. Uh, and none of them were head to head against Pogaccia. So I don't, I fail to see how that is better in quotation marks than bonus seconds. But anyway, it does show his team is pretty strong. So the, when I seen that tweet, what I thought was, you know, first of all, it's this imaginary situation that doesn't exist. The bonus <laughs> seconds were up for grabs yeah. and Pogaccia <laughs> took them, but <laughs> Pogaccia took like 12 or 14 seconds in intermediate sprints. And okay, the first one you might not predict it, but after Pogaccia takes the first time, he takes six seconds. You've got Olaf Koy on Jumbo, and you've got Arno Demar on FTJ. Whatever about Koy, he won a stage, so it was worth saving him. But Demar, the best result he got this week was tenth. 
you know, once Pogaccia starts taking intermediate sprints, then whoever's in the car for FTJ has to be on the radio and is like, okay, Arno, uh, you are not sprinting that well this week. We need you to at least out-sprint today, Pogaccia, if you can, um, and stop him getting bonifications. And, you know, at a certain point, you can say, is bonus uh, seconds good? Is it bad? This, that, or the other. But you have to make the, you know, the calculation at some point and just say, well, actually, we have riders who can stop him getting these bonus seconds, and they didn't do that. That's a good point. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't take advantage of the opportunity. That, that's uh, that's for sure. Uh, what could Ronan? You, you wrote on the run sheet, and I actually kind of want to ask you the to answer your own question. What could the others have done differently in this race to actually change the result, or was Pogacar just too hard to to beat? Um, yes, Pogacar was too hard to beat, and the examples I had thought of, I've already given. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and it, but it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily made the difference for the no, old. like yeah. up up until today's stage. There was, I, I just thought there was moments where they, Yombo and FTJ could have made it more difficult for for Pogaccia. and again, just you know, almost bait him. He loves to make an attack, bait him into making an attack, and see if you can, you know, drag him out that way. We've seen he has, you know, he's not invincible. He will from time to time sort of uh, burn all his matches too soon, and you know, lose a race that way. So almost bait him into doing that, or as I mentioned earlier with Godot, be happy to let the chasers come back and just add that bit of chaos into the mix. Um, but yeah, once we've seen today's stage, it, it would have counted for nothing anyway because he he was un- unmatchable and unbeatable today. Cosmo, uh, before we get into the fact that there was a concurrent race going on, <laughs> what, is this race too long? Well, in, I, in I mean, we, as, as Ronan just spelled out, like we knew who was going to own this race. Like, Barring catastrophe on the stage we lost with, like, I feel like we got what we needed to get out of this race. Um, I maybe that's why it, it's eight stages, they, they build in a, a day to cancel just in case the weather in March, you know. I that's not honestly, that's not a terrible idea. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it just seems like a lot for someone who isn't getting up and watching bike racing every day to keep on top of, you know, because it, it even runs longer than a standard calendar week. You know, I, I feel like Monday through Saturday, maybe Sunday is ideal. Um, but that's just me. It's a lot. It's I, a lot of racing. I can get on board with that. I want to I want to answer this question about how uh, how Gaudu could win. <laughs> or, and because now I'm now I'm bothered. I, th- <laughs> I think that he that it's simple. He's not going to get lucky. He's not going to like out tactic them. I think that you've proven that in by saying that he's happy to get second. I think that the only way that he can win is to outclimb them, but he was with them this whole week on the climbs. I think that he has the ability to outclimb them at some point in the future if he works on it. You can move on now, but I just had to say my piece. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm a fan. I love his glasses. I I have to like got to okay. back my guy, you know. Yeah. Also, people crash too. I mean, that's a, a, you don't necessarily have to be the best bike racer Dang in July. Cash. So yeah, dude, that's, don't put that. Bring, on, bring it in the evil eye, man. It's dark. I mean, yeah. Vincenzo Nibali won a tour. I kind of think because of that. So yeah. so there's that. I, did you see yeah. that Roubaix stage after Froome crashed? Like that was really good riding. <laughs> it was great. He was great that year. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, all right, moving on. Torino Adriatico. Cosmo. Do 30 seconds. Uh, yeah. Okay. Do I get a timer this time, time or just have to? No, I, I think you proved that you I can. I believe in you, yeah. Uh, Primoz Roglic, he won four stages. He never looked like he was in any trouble. He hung out in the lead group. And then when it was time to win the stage, he won the stage. Uh, set off a champagne bottle indoors. <laughs> um, yeah. No, he, he looked really good. Better than I think he's looked in a long time. Even though we did get one... Uh, weather shortened day that might have been harder for him to uh to go away with also got an entertaining crash between wild van art and pitcock where they shook and rode in together off the back reminiscing about their crash i would assume so uh we'll get to pitcock in a, in a second because that i think is a is a talking point uh for me the the big thing that comes out of this race is roglish dominating uh while his teammate Jonas Vingago had a fine race but didn't did not dominate and i'm sort of wondering what what is the level of success that roglic 
is there a level of success even that Rogic can have to sort of reestablish himself in that team? Or is the fact that Jonas Vingegaard is the defending Tour de France champ just too much, too much to overcome? I would say Vingegaard owed a big part of last year's success to that initial day where they broke Pogaccia, where the two Pogaccia and, or Roglic and Vinigo sort of one-twoed them repeatedly. And I, I didn't see that stage and still haven't seen it, but from what I understand, it was the classic one-two over and over and over again. Uh, and that was a tactical move. Without having Roglic there, you don't have that option going into this year. And yeah, may, maybe maybe Pogaccia is in my head, but I don't see how you beat him otherwise. Um, let's hope Vingo is not thinking the same way so I, I'd be saying you, you bring him but it looks like he's going to Giro I, I definitely agree that the, the presence is a big, makes a big difference like it, just having him there uh, I'm hopeful that I'm hopeful that, there, that there's some kind of thinking going into the, the next couple of weeks here uh, because I do, I do think it, it, it could make a difference and it might be as simple as one guy is aiming for July the other guy is aiming for May right like uh, I am not an expert on training. Um, I've seen people train in all sorts of different ways and do well and poorly, almost randomly. So, uh, but f- from my perspective, I think if you're racing in May, your March is definitely going to be a higher form uh, than if you're racing in July. I, I do think as as far as the May conversation goes, Roglic is doing a darn good job of sort of making himself the the guy to beat uh, with the. Uh, with potential for a great battle with Remco Evenepoel. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, also, just in general about Roglic this week, I, I think with Pogacar doing what he was doing over in Paranis, I was really happy to see Roglic sort of doing a, the same kind of thing, just just hunting every single stage, uh, trying to trying to just dominate, uh, not not sitting back and saying, all right, I've got the lead. I'll take it easy. Uh, no, they, 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 both of these racers, they clearly want to win bike races which i think is it's fun i mean they can get a little bit old if they keep winning everything uh but at least they care that's that's nice to see i mean i i might make a distinction there and that pogacar was very definitely a protagonist like he was the guy attacking and going after bonus seconds and doing stuff and, and roglic was very much like i forget which stage it was for uh where it was just like this con like there were 20 guys in this group and every single person except him seemed to try and make an attack and then kind of last 50 meters, he kind of creeps around the outside and goes faster than everyone else. And like very dominant still, but maybe less, uh, less memorably dominant, less aggressively dominant. Like I almost feel like Pogacar was playing with people. I feel like the, the problem here is that it's hard to compare Roglic's dominance at Trainer Adriatico to Pog's dominance at Perinese because the courses are so different. Like the climbing is way harder in Perinese and in Torino there was only one like mountain day and there was a huge headwind the whole time. So it's for Roglic to establish himself again as like a GC contender in his team and also against Pog- Pogacar. I think that he needs to perform on a long mountain climb and that's just not something that we saw at Torino because it wasn't part of the race. I think for me also is like a and not to try and bring too much negativity into the river, but Roglic won three stages but easily could have came away from Torino with nothing. You know, had Pedcock and Van Aert not tangled and came down, I think Van Aert was on for that stage. Uh the following stage had it not been like Gale Force headwind the whole way up the climb. <laughs> I'm not so sure that Roglic would have won that. And then his third stage win had Enrique Mas not been Enrique Mas and Theo Gegenhardt got a fair <laughs> sprint at it. Um, Roglic probably wouldn't have won that stage either. So um, I think the three-stage wins sort of flatters his performance this week. But also, he won three stages in the World Tour stage race. So you know, it's not really fair to say anything is flattering his, his results at that you know, I, I just think it could too easily have gone the other way. Also, uh, let's let's talk about Pitcock since we've brought him up a few times here. So, he obviously looks pretty pretty good in form. I would say he had a nice showing on the bicycle recently uh, over there at Stratobianca. But he's a guy who has a lot of big objectives this spring. Kaylee, uh, in addition to messaging Cosmo and I about the the bonus seconds thing, he sent along a, a listener question about. Pitcock racing at Torino. And and this actually, we got this this message before Pitcock abandoned the race. Uh, so 
the question is, is it worth it to go to Toronto uh, when you know he essentially was not, maybe not uh, not fully recovered? Is 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 what the the listener asked, and he went on even after we got the message to yeah to crash out of the race. Uh, and Milan San Remo is is the thing on on his on his uh, you know list of objectives, and and now that's sort of put into question his his ability to race there as well. I. I would agree that he went super deep to win at Strada and was maybe a little tired after that, but I think it's 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 Ineos we're talking about here, right? Like, you know, they're they're very very structured, um, performance oriented. I feel like if there were any sign that Pidcock was so worn out that this was hurting him, they would have taken him out of the race without a second thought. Uh, I feel like he's in there because he wants to be in there and because the people who are training him think it's best for him to be in there uh, until it's not and that that might be why after you know the early crash in today's Toronto stage he just climbed to the car and didn't even bother trying to get back on the bike um, I, I you know again I don't know that much about training I've seen a lot of stuff work and not work but I can't imagine uh, they wouldn't be that wouldn't be completely top of mind for for the team it, is, it could just be another example of a young rider who wants to go win bike races too I mean Try telling Tom Pidcock, no, you don't. You don't get to go try to win this bike race. I'm assuming he's not going to love hearing that. That's one thing that he likes to do is win bike races. They told him to stop winning cross races, uh, you know, with a month to go in the season. So someone here has a plan, and, and Pidcock is following it. That's right. Uh, Cosmo, I've been hyping this up, so <laughs> I hope you're. I yeah. hope you're ready to oh, give can... us the real reason. Like, what, why shouldn't we have these two races going on at once? I got, I like kind of being able to watch two races. It's back to back fun. Yeah, what, but what's you're wrong with that? Weird. Everybody who is listening to this is weird, right? There's we're this tiny little sliver of a sliver of a sliver of this pie of people who could potentially watch bike racing. Like, my wife is not a huge baseball fan, but she'll go to like watch a Sox game. She'll watch football occasionally. Like, there's a lot of people who could be putting eyes on cycling, and I think when you, you kind of build this triple decker weekends where you've got all these different races happening at the same time, like top level races happening at the same time. It really makes it confusing. Um, I, I kind of like it, especially if there's a not great day in one race that I can go and watch another, but at the same time, it's just, it, why we, if there is a top tier of cycling, there should be one top tier event happening at a time. Um, I think it makes it much easier to kind of get your head around the season, especially as an American who is used to this like regular season playoff progression, whereas cycling just there's just a bunch of races and the most important one is in the middle for historical reasons. Uh, I just don't make things more confusing. Than they have to be right. There should be one race for the, the new fan to follow every weekend, and it should be the most important race. And once if they decide they get into it, into it, then they can start caring about these other things. But for me, it's it's always confused me how they have these two events. I, I feel like even the events have tried to differentiate themselves. I remember there was one year where Perry Nice was very much not a tour prep race. Like it wasn't huge mountain climbs. It was a lot of it was almost like a series of one days. And I like I want to say like Carlos Betancourt maybe won it. It was a very irregular race, and everyone ended up going to Torreno. And maybe a few years before or after that. Torreno was throwing in all these oddball stages. There was one with like laps on like a 30% grade where half the Peloton was walking. And it just, it seemed like I love that experimentation, but at the same time, like there shouldn't be these two races side by side to the, that are so similar to the point that like they're trying weird stuff to make themselves different. Just pick one, make it the important stage race for the world tour for March. I didn't need a whole lot of convincing, but I'm convinced. So uh, the bar is low, but I think you make a great argument. We're diluting the calendar. You're right. By putting both of these top level races. I did. Enjoy, I mean, you brought up this, this is sort of a, a nice memory to think about back when, yeah, Carlos Betancourt won Perry Nice. I, that year, uh, Rui Costa second that it was year. A cool, it was and a I'm cool race. Up here. But... Yeah, it was cool. Arthur, Arthur V show was third overall at Perry nice that year, which is rivaled only by Greg Van Avermaet winning Torino that one year where they canceled <laughs> a mountain stage, which is the coolest result. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I agree. I, I've come around to, to the argument that you've made here. Is it better or worse now that they overlap more? Because previously, mm. Paranese was starting on a Sunday and Torino would start on a Wednesday. But now, Paranese starts on a Sunday, Torino starts on a Monday. Um, so they overlap even more? Yeah, I, I think I that's slightly... Worse. I think it's slightly oh. better because... Oh. I think it's slightly better because you you can't race both of them anyway. So the, the, the racing is diluted no matter what, right? Like... 
you have your stars are either going to go to one or the other. They can't do both, no matter what, if they start, if, if they overlap at all. And that, there's, there's rules that are built in for that. Uh, at least if they're completely overlapping, that at least we get back to having the less dilution more quickly. The flip side of that is what, what are you going to watch on Tuesday? Like yeah, Tuesday baseball. after this weekend. Yeah. Honestly, so, yeah, yeah, another sport. My my frustration is, isn't that both races exist, but that they, or that they overlap, but it's, it's just that they don't have to overlap. It's like both are considered preparation races from Milan San Remo, but, you know, there's no reason really that Pyrenees couldn't start on the Wednesday beforehand and finish on the Wednesday, and Torino starts on the Thursday and finishes on the following Wednesday, and like it used to, and then the riders go and go and do San Remo, uh, and you're just if you're doing San Remo, you're forced to choose Torino, and hey, at least it's in Italy, the same country, and you could do Strada before it, so you could have like a two week block in Italy preparing for the race that's in Italy, rather than having riders do a race in Pyrenees, preparing for a race that's in Italy, uh, which just adds more confusion to the sort of casual fan of the sport. Does anyone else try to watch? try to watch and like forget who's contending which race and which race <laughs> yes. you're watching yeah that, that happens yeah yeah especially this i was looking for uh for vanderpool's uh lead out from stage three in perry nice and i was very confused and i was like oh wait <laughs> that was Torino. got it all right so my takeaway from all of this is there's a lot of really reasonable arguments to not do these races at the same time it's pretty easy to just just not do this and fortunately, the, the powers that be in this sport, they tend to be extremely reasonable. And I'm sure they're listening to this podcast <laughs> and everything will be fixed. So I think that's all we need to say, really. I want to ask a question having to do with Torino um, that I should have asked when we were talking about Pidcock, but I, I dropped the ball there. I'm curious what you guys think Ineos does now, because we just had two very long conversations about the general classification at two week-long races that are both prep races for bigger things to come and we literally like the only mention of Ineos was was Pidcock you know yeah. running into Wout Van Aert so <laughs> I mean Teo had a pretty good performance finishing fourth overall at Torino and almost almost winning a stage but like what do they do now where, where do they stand yeah so I think one of the big things going into these races was that they were not going to have either Thomas or Bernal in either one of these events. And I think I think Enios is just probably going into these races thinking, all right, we'll just keep waiting for these two guys to come back to really see hmm. where they are. Obviously they have other they have other races that they're gonna they have other racers that they are going to kind of keep their eye on throughout the year and, and gauge their, their form. But I think those are the, the two that I'm most interested to see. I think those are the two riders that are most likely uh, to uh, on that team to potentially challenge for a grand tour if healthy, which is the big if. I think they've just got every non-French David Garou in the <laughs> overall contention for every race. It's like, uh, yeah, uh, like, Teo Gegenhardt has made a huge step forward this year, I think. But again, is he going to win another Grand Tour this year? Seems unlikely at the moment. I'm, I'm not even sure if he's going to the Giro or the Tour, but I, I would, you know, I would almost say go to the Giro with Garen Thomas and put everything behind him and give Teo Gegenhardt the experience of leading the Tour de France, but really, like Danny Martinez had a, the, frankly, a terrible Pyrenees. There, there has to be something wrong with their with him there, either illness or injury or something that that's just not his level. And going forward, like this might seem weird, but I think actually Tom Pitcock is their best chance of a Grand Tour one. Yeah, I, I think, and, and that's obviously not for a couple of seasons to come, probably. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's more of a down the road thing, but I kind of agree that he is. I'm, I'm assuming that they are looking at it similarly, and I, I do kind of wonder if there is a point at which they start to kind of go in that direction. Uh, with, with and, him. and the, what I meant by the David Garou comment was just that in the meantime, I think they can be second or third quite often, but they don't really have a winner right now, especially having lost Carapaz, who like I feel was probably. Uh, yeah, probably not going to win either, but also probably better than the options they're left with. Ronan, I don't know what you like turned a year older and you got real, real grumpy and cynical. Mm, I'm, it's because I'm now like, yeah, much closer to 40 than I am to 30. So I'm just, yeah, expected just... to get worse from here on. Yeah. <laughs> but happy birthday, though. Uh, I won right, other World Tour race happened in the last few days. 
Abby, you said you could do this. You 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 told you hyped your ability to give us a, a little ten seconds. Was that the... summary of yeah? So go for it. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm ready. All right. Should I start? Count me down. Three, yeah. two, one. The Peloton stayed together for pretty much the entire stage, and then. At a certain point on the Vanberg, it started to break apart. There was a massive crash, a couple of massive crashes, but it ended up in a bunch sprint, and Lorena Weavis took it. Damn. All right, not bad. One it's not second. bad, not bad. Ten yeah. seconds is hard. Ten seconds is hard. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it was a lot more exciting than that, but yeah. that is what happened. Also, just to be clear, we said 30 seconds, and Abby said she, she could do it. She a, could do 10, a, yes. A, a 10-seconder. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't confine her to 10 before she said that. <laughs> Uh, right, Lorena Weavis, yet another big win for SD Works, which continues to be, I think, the main talking point for me. Uh, every single women's world tour race so far, they, they're just uh, and they're winning with multiple different riders. It's not like one one rider only is winning all these races. So with Weavis, I think you have a couple of questions there. So after Drenta, I think it's worth wondering, are there enough races to go around for all the talented riders on this team to have their chances? I mean, Webus is the newcomer, a new signing since this past transfer season. Uh, at the moment, you could make a good case that she's the fastest finisher in women's cycling. Uh, and then obviously we saw last weekend Demi Volering, Lada Kopecky going one to Estrada Bianca. Uh, we should say, just as we went to record the podcast, we read the news that Kopecky's brother uh, had passed away at just 29 years old which is awful news. Uh, we don't know too much about that at the moment. Apparently, she is still set to race Nokora Corsa this week. Uh, but yeah, our, our condolences to her family and anyone else affected by that. We may know more even by the time the podcast goes up, uh, but that's really all we know uh, for now. So, Lada Kopecky, before this year, was the marquee sprinter on this team. Uh, obviously, she's in good form to start 2023. But now Webus has taken a big one-day win with, with you know more opportunities to do that ahead, and and yeah, the the question I think that that uh, this raises is, you know, are there enough big races for this team to give Webus and Kopecky and everyone else the opportunities they want? Are there enough of them to go around? I mean, I think you end up with a little Jerry Rice, Joe Montana kind of thing here, where well, I guess that's not true; they play different positions, but they're like they're both of them being strong is important to either of them winning, right? If Kopecky goes up the road, who is going to bring her back just to set up Weavis for a sprint? There's multiple cards that they can play. Uh, I agree, they're both really strong sprinters, but it's just, I I don't see they're running out of ways to win races, uh, I guess. We've already seen a little inter-team friction, and it didn't seem to carry over to this week, but different riders, so. Yeah, I, I feel like the thing about this discussion is i i think it's just a lot of a lot of nothing like the reason that st works signed webus in the first place is because kopecky wasn't winning sprints like she's not really a sprinter anymore maybe she was a couple years ago but she's really turned herself into a more versatile rider and we saw that in when she won strada last year we saw that when she almost won strada this year she's not she's not a pure sprinter anymore if she ever was, and Webus is very much that pure sprinter. And when it came to sprint finishes last year, SD Works was really left out to dry. I mean, it was very much Webus with Team DSM and and Balsamo with Trek taking all of the wins when it came to sprints. And so they picked up Webus to fill that gap. And so I don't think that they're really there's ever really going to be an, a situation where these two riders butt heads on that team. Like if you look at the races to come, there's Binda, which could in theory be like a sprint finish. I am curious who they would send to that race because traditionally SC works doesn't send their like a team of riders to Binda. So I'm not sure if Webus will be there. And, and obviously with the news of, Kopecky's brother passing I'm not sure if she will be there as well but regardless that race is something that I could see Demi having a lot of fun at or giving it to someone else on the team like Lana Kunikin is an incredible sprinter they might go for her if it would be a sprint which we'll get to Bruges Japana is is a Weebus race hands down that's a sprint finish every time and she 
finished second there last year with a broken spoke after some horrendous crashes in the final. And then Gent Wevelgem, that's like a little bit iffy, but like Cosmo just said, you throw Kopecky up the road and Weavis is climbing so well right now and riding so well right now that she's safely just sitting in the bunch. So I feel like if you look at the races up to Flanders, which at that point, the focus will kind of shift towards Demi and Kopecky. I don't think Weebus and Kopecky are the two on this team that are going to be needing to share victories. I think it's Kopecky and, and Demi, and that's a completely different conversation. We saw that at Strata. But I think, like, for SC Works, they are sitting pretty right now with Weebus. Like, they're getting exactly what they wanted. Abby's <laughs> uh, comment about actually Demi and a lot of sharing races is the biggest thing that I took from Strata last week is that they have to go forward and surely Lotto wants to win Flanders and Roubaix and having made an enemy out of Demi as I believe that is now more <laughs> difficult uh, and the other thing I was going to say was just how you actually despite how good Lorena Weebus is and I think Cosmo you had it in a story on Instagram today the whole race just handed it to her yeah. on a plate so I don't know if we want to discuss that no, that's I, yeah. What the I was, race was really interesting. No, yeah. I think we should. Yeah, the, I mean, this race has like traditionally come down to a sprint or like a solo rider. Uh, has it, it, there have been situations where it's been like a solo rider or a small break, and a lot of that times it, it's because of crosswinds or because of crazy weather. And they they did have some crazy weather. They had some insane crashes. I mean, when the live coverage started, uh, very late into the race, I might add, there was it was just like bodies everywhere on the ground <laughs> taylor wiles in a ditch and like eight riders up the road and that was pretty much the race and i thought that that was going to be it like i thought it was it was going to be chaos after that but it really wasn't there was so much opportunity for this race to blow apart and and it just didn't it just every single time there was a promising move that went or anything it, it just fused back together which is kind of a bummer because they changed the course. It used to be this very, they'd go out into the, the northern Dutch countryside and there were tons of crosswinds and, and, you know, all of the good stuff. And during COVID, they had to change the course. So it was only on the Bamberg. So they were just doing laps of the Bamberg, which is a very, it's a, it's a trash heap. Um, <laughs> Literally. I mean, it's it hard. Like, like, it, yeah. It was a Not riding garbage. through garbage. And they made a nice little cobbled climb. They did, yeah. They made it into a bike park. It can be a really exciting race. We've seen really exciting races happen on the Vanberg. But for some reason, Drenta just kind of always leaves something to be desired. And it was exciting because there was always something going on. But then... Once you got to the end, it was just a sprint. And I think, yeah, I found I found that interesting because it, it just had so much potential at so many different points. And SD Works did a really, really good job once they knew that it was going to be a sprint going into the finish because they kind of like, so they start and then they go, they ride out to the Vanberg and then they do laps of the Vanberg and then they ride back to the, to the start town and finish there. And once they did the last lap of the Vanberg, it was clear that it was going to be a sprint. And then SD Works just did their thing and kept it all together and made just an absolute textbook, perfect, delivered Weebus to the line beautifully. The rest of that sprint, I, I found to be a little bit surprising to see sort of the, the way the podium shook out in that race uh, with Suzanne Anderson from Uno X uh, and Micah Vanderdoen from Kenyon Sram, which... I mean, both are riders who have been up there in results before, but with Balsamo in the race and a handful of other people, I, I would have expected a slightly different podium. Uh, am, am I right to be surprised? Uh, what, what do you think happened there, Abby? And, and why Yeah, why are they up there when, again, Balsamo is a pretty fast rider and I, I, she didn't really factor? I think a couple people got caught out in the weather. Like, Lada Hintala ended up in that group of eight that didn't crash. And she's just a phenomenal sprinter, and she's had some good results already this year. And I think she would contend for a race like this. But she was caught in that group of eight, and I think she did a little bit too much work in that race. And so when it came to the sprint, she said her legs were a bit flat. As for Balsamo, she hates the cold. She was wearing her jacket the entire time. She was wearing her jacket in the finish. She's not. She doesn't like the cold. It's just some people, you know. 
the cold just doesn't work. I identify with that. So I if I ever, yeah, so. of all the people in the world, that's Bane, also what's keeping me from understand. from finishing on the podium uh, at a world tour race. Yeah. Just so you you guys, all the listeners know, that's it. That's the only thing. We should note that that Uno X is a Norwegian team, and that Suzanne Anderson is Norwegian, and this was what I consider to be Norwegian weather, having only ever been to Bergen. <laughs> um, but it no, it it was very like Uno X did a really good job, kind of sneaking their way into the last little bit of the lead out as as SD Works was 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 finishing up, and I think there was very much a well, Weebus is well, she needs to be, so whatever, and I think that's what what got Anderson. Um, kind of where she was. I will also, this kind of dovetails with my complaint about the, I should say, first of all, it was amazing. They got this race pulled off. Like we saw what happened all over Europe. It, it was, it was snowy. It was icy. They, despite the crashes in the mud on the side of the road, like it looked pretty rideable. Um, but the production was just like, there wasn't, there weren't always time gaps. They were bad at indicating what group was on camera at any given time. Uh, and during the sprint, they had the, the picture break up like from the chopper that as far as I could tell, with a direct line of sight to the to the race course. So I just I, I there was um, Ronde Van Het Hogeland. Am I saying that correctly? Which was produced entirely for motorcycles. And I felt I had a much better picture of what was going on in that race just because the information was constant and well presented than I did here at Drenta. Uh, so. I, I'm just wondering if, you know, this is a women's world tour race. Like, are is the UCI going to, you know, lean on the pr- production team to make sure that viewers get this easy-ish to digest picture? Or are we going to have to, like, go back and pause every 20 seconds to see which group we're actually looking at? I, I want to, like, just two things that you just said. So for Suzanne Anderson, this is a huge result. She's been racing for a long time she's been she's she's young but she's been racing for a bit and she's kind of she's she was on sunweb as a development rider and then moved over to uno x when it started and she has never really like tapped into the potential i think that she has and for her to finish second is is a huge deal for her but also a huge deal for uno x who joined the world tour last year and last year did nothing. They really struggled to put pull together any results. And part of it was because they have a super young team and they signed Maria Julia Conflonieri this year. And I think that she's along with some other signings on the team have really brought a lot of experience into the team and that we will continue to see them succeed, which is awesome because it's, it's a team that is really, really exciting because of how they have, the support that they've given their riders and how they've kind of gone about setting up the team. So I was really excited to see her finish second. Um, but also I saw in the run sheet that you put race production minimum standards and I, and I laughed, (laughs) I giggled, um, for one, because a race that is traditionally just like God awful coverage is coming up on sat on Sunday, um, Saturday, Sunday, but also because the, that we've been asking for live coverage for so long and like adequate live coverage more. We need more than an hour of live coverage to actually really understand what's going on in a race and appreciate where the win is coming from. We've been asking for this for so long that I feel like I didn't even notice. I don't notice when the production standards are bad because I'm like, well, at least it's live. Like we ask for live coverage so much that like once we get to a point where we can stop asking for live coverage, then we can be like, okay, actually the production is pretty shit. Like if you're used to watching <laughs> men's races, you can be like, okay, yeah, the production is shit. If you're used to watching women's races, you're like, oh my God, they're live since 45 kilometers to go. I win. I win today. So I laughed. I was like, haha. I, I get Cosmo's point as well. At least when, when they've got this far, the hard part is done. The, the, this next step. Oh, that's- 100%. 100 you're right <laughs> i just think it's funny maybe drones could solve every problem oh uh, god mm. yeah I, I i do want to point out the men's race was was also was also not great in terms of figuring out what was going on in the race but um yeah Ronda von Dretch, a very tour. rare uh event that has men's and women's races where the women's race is the world tour event and the men's race is yeah just kind of a second tier race no, 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 no. The also, men's, also the men's winner also won a women's world tour race. Did you not see the finish line banner? It it, it said women's world tour on it. I did not oh, see no that. Way. 
That's amazing. How about they that? just didn't take down the <laughs> Well, yeah. they're too busy working on the race production. I think they were just glad to have anything staying upright given the weather yeah, and that, so they didn't true. want to tamper with it, maybe. That's why I had to lead, but it was amazing that they pulled it off. Like, I think we have sufficiently Monday morning DS on Sunday. Um, news items. There are a few. Abby, I kind of want to throw to you for, for both of the ones that come top to mind for me. So first off, what's the current, as of Sunday afternoon when we're recording this, maybe this changes by the time you're listening, but what's the current situation with Kristen Faulkner and the wearing of a glucose monitor at Strada Bianca? Yeah, people, so people kind of noticed that there was a round disc on her arm during Strada Bianca and... Um, I reached out to the UCI and asked them if they had a statement. They said that they were aware and they were following up um, and, and figuring that out. So that's happening. Um, reached out to the team. Uh, still have not heard back. But there was um, something on Cycling News about Kristen apparently thought that the UCI rule meant that the device had to be actively had to actively being be being used in order for it to count um and that it obviously wasn't connected to her phone when she was racing strata but so anyway yeah it's interesting we don't really know what's going on at the moment except that everyone is aware that there was a glucose monitor on her arm so that it was a glucose monitor it was not a heart rate monitor or anything like that um she's not diabetic so I, I'm still not sure if the rule me, I did respond to the UCI and ask for clarification if a diabetic rider could use a glucose monitoring device during races. And, uh, I have not heard back, but those two questions are answered, um, about, about Faulkner specifically. And we're kind of waiting to see what the UCI does because this hasn't ever happened in a women's race before <laughs> that a rider has worn a glucose monitor. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting, and it'll be a huge bummer for for Kristen if her if she gets disqualified retroactively for um for wearing a glucose monitor. Uh, Cosmo Catalano has raised a hand, which is a feature of Google <laughs> Meet I'd never even seen before, which I'm so really I was, excited. I was sitting here with my hand raised, and I was like, man, yeah. you know, I feel weird, but now it's like, oh, anyway, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, just the the whole the whole like having a glucose monitor versus having it hooked up so you can see it. Like all this just, it reminds me of the discussion over race radios. Like, how are you going to enforce this? Right? Like, I, it seems to me like you could probably put the glucose monitor somewhere where somebody couldn't, you know, not, it was right on her shoulder. Like, every single close up of Faulkner's head, you could see or it. Or just take the glucose monitor off. It's well, that's pretty the, simple. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely make it a non issue, <laughs> but if you wanted to cheat and use your glucose monitor during the race, how is the UCI ever going to stop you from doing that? Like, You'd have to put it, it on your very, very upper inner thigh. There are so many places you could hide it. There's going to be an iPad whole... with a sensor, and they're going to run it down, uh, and they're going to be able to start do we, finding it. Do we want it? to get into where you could hide it? Just, just it's Have you asked what are the UCI doing now, or what's going to happen? I can tell you exactly what they're doing now. They are sitting somewhere working out what the heck they're going to do to find a way out of this corner that they've backed themselves into with a very poorly written rule and now having to enforce something on someone who has finished third in one of the biggest races of the year. Uh, I think that's where we're at with it. Why else, why else, like, are, are they waiting to test her B arm? Or, you know, why else is it taking, like, 10 days to get some sort of a... That's interesting about it. It's like a... It doesn't, it, like... I don't know. It, it's a rule, so they should just... Obviously, she was wearing it, isn't that kind of, doesn't that, it's just like, okay, that's it. And then they can rewrite the rule for the future if that's what they're worried about. Or we're just going to sit here and, I mean, it's going to be months before, it's going to be months before we have an answer. Let's be real. I'm just glad that Ronan is here to, I don't know, I, it had been like at least 30 minutes of podcasting without him uh, taking a shot at the UCI, which that, it's too long. <laughs> So I'm glad we got it. Uh, I want to let you know it was actually 70 minutes, uh, which I think is a <laughs> wow. new record for me. All right, there is another news story, and actually uh, one that uh, involves Faulkner's former team. So Kristen Faulkner used to race for Tipco SVB. Now she's with the Jayco Alula squad, but uh, SVB all over the news, not just the cycling news, 
uh, any every news channel in the U.S. is showing the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank, uh, and that is the same bank that sponsors that team, uh, the SVB team. Abby, do we have any info on what that means for the team? The fact that this bank has been uh, taken over essentially uh, due to their struggles. So we're gonna have an FDIC-sponsored team. What's the what's the future here? Yeah, I don't know. And and the team, obviously, the team also doesn't know. I reached out for comment and haven't heard anything back. And I think that there's a lot of questions and a lot up in the air for for everybody when it comes to, to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. So the team has no idea. I find it hard to believe that it would impact the team because EF is invested in having a women's team and having their name in the women's peloton. So I, I mean, maybe it's the hopefulness in me that wants EF to pick up whatever slack is going to happen because of this. But yeah, I, it's, it's a lot of unknowns. I mean, the team's obviously going to be fine for a little while. They ha- would have had to have, uh, SVB would have had to pay them a certain amount. I think it's quarterly and there's also a bank guarantee. I mean, I think they're fine for this for this season. I think if we're going to see it impact them, it's going to probably be next year, but we'll see. Hopefully the team is not too affected by this. Uh, I'm saying, I think we're all very optimistic about that, or we're at least hopeful, uh, which means we should probably move on before Ronan jumps in and dashes our hopes, as he has done with some of the things <laughs> Abby has said. Because we're talking about, about EF Education, TIBCO, SBB? Question mark. Um, I just want to plug really quick that later on this week, the f- well, tomorrow, as you're listening to this, the first Wheel Talk podcast is coming out. But on Friday, there will be an interview with Veronica Ewers, who finished ninth at the Tour de France Femme of X Swift last year and is a incredible up and coming American talent. And uh, she rides for them. So shameless plug. No, no, uh, no shame. I think it's great to plug other podcasts on this one because we're all part of the same network, and you yeah. should absolutely collective. go and listen. Same collective. Same collective. Same collective. That's right. That's, yes. a, that's, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, definitely. Once you finish this, you know, go listen to Abby's show. Uh, I think that's it for the big news items for the moment, uh, as of right now. What do we got coming up? We have. We have some races in Italy coming up, some one-day races in Italy. So on the men's side, that's the first the first of the year's Monument Classics, Milan-San Remo. It's a long race that has many hours of often not that consequential things, sometimes consequential things. Uh, in other podcasts and other media in the past, we've, we've talked about this a fair bit. I often point out that this is the case and that other people tell me I'm wrong. We don't need to do that here. Uh, but Milan San Rebo, it's this week. It's always got a very exciting final 20 minutes. Uh, last year, Matej Mohoric did a great job of keeping things interesting. This year, we don't need to do a whole preview of it, but I think we can at least talk about some of the, the contenders and what's what's going to happen. Uh, Wat van Aert, at the moment, as of Sunday afternoon, is your bookie's favorite, but Mohoric and Matthew Vanderpool and Caleb Ewan and even that Tadej Pogacar guy are up there. I think Tom Pidcock is another, obviously, a rider to watch. But who knows? After his crash, uh, whatever happens, I'm, I am very much looking forward to the last 20 minutes of the race. Uh, the whole race, I don't know. Uh, Abby, Alfredo Binda, you mentioned a little bit about that already. What can we expect this weekend at Alfredo Binda? Yeah, they've changed the course around a little bit. So, I actually, I'm not entirely sure what we can expect. It's the same circuit finish however that involves two climbs and uh last year it came down to a reduced bunch sprint that was won by elisa balsma so it's also been won solo by kashini wadoma and uh mariana boss has won it so it's really it's an interesting way race because it can go many many different ra- ways and uh, i wish i could give you some of the bookies favorites but it's women's cycling, so we will not have a start list until mm, two hours before the race, <laughs> uh, probably. So I don't know who's racing. <laughs> that's a that's a fair and fine point. And, uh, I, yeah, bookies often are slow to get the women's races up as well. So <laughs> uh, We also have, in the middle of the week, 
uh, Cosmo brought this up uh, off mic. There is no Corsa. We we want to cut off. We don't want to do too much previewing. Uh, it's not a world tour race, but Ronan mentioned uh, that he has raced it, and so that alone makes it worthy, I think, of mentioning. I mean, you you could have brought it up in a way that didn't sound like I brought it up myself, but anyway, you've done it now, so... <laughs> no, 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 I I think based on the way that you dashed the hopes of all of our French listeners, uh, <laughs> it's what you get. Uh, that's, that's what's coming up mm. in the week ahead. Most importantly, far more importantly than the first monument of the year, than Alfredo Binda, than Nogar Corsa, the debut of Wheel Talk. So make sure you go listen to that. I was wondering where you were going with that. Yeah, that's where I was going. Uh, I've been waiting to I've been waiting to hype that up. I'm very excited about it. Uh, I think everybody's very excited about it. So you'll get uh, placeholders. You'll get wheel talk. You'll get geek warning, and then we'll be back in a week. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you then. In the meantime, enjoy all of the bike racing. And thanks, Cosmo. Thanks, Ronan. And thanks, Abby, for the show. Mm-hmm.